I'm Sarah Grace McCandless, and this is On Brand. When we think about customer experience, which is certainly at the focus and the core of this show, there's a couple of considerations to keep in mind. First, of course, there's the company, there's the consumer, but in between that is that customer experience support team. My guest today is a true expert when it comes to really understanding what goes into creating, cultivating, and growing a successful customer ex- customer experience and customer support team. Sarah Hatter is the founder of CoSupport and Elevate CX, and she's going to talk today about her experience in this space, both of those organizations, and what she recommends to keep in mind for both emerging and established brands. Sarah, welcome to OnBrand. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here, Sarah. I love this show. I love you. And I love talking about customer support. I'm probably one of like the five people in the world who really geek out on everything related to customer facing roles and building that team. So yeah, ask me anything. Let's go. I love your passion for this. And I think it's one of the things that first endeared me when we met a couple years ago at a conference. Um, and I, I share that passion and enthusiasm with you as well. But it you really kind of take it to a new level. So let's let's start by talking about your background. Tell us how you got involved in this space and how what led you to creating both CoSupport and Elevate CX. Well, my background in this goes all the way back to my very first job. When I was 15 years old, I got a job working at a call center. Uh, Probably a lot of people don't know that call centers are staffed by 15 year olds, but this is in the 90s and, uh, you know, everything goes. Um, And I would answer people's calls when they're buying like, you know, ShamWows and junk on TV and process whatever it is. And I, oddly enough, had an amazing trainer, someone who was like very customer focused and very experience focused. And even back working with a call center, I sort of had this stuff drilled into my brain about how little tiny things you can do to make the experience for someone, even someone buying a ShamWow on TV, you can make their experience a little bit more relationable, a little more friendly. Mm-hmm. So as you know, my life evolved, I started working for a uh, like a software company and was employee number six at a startup. And I think by default at the time, um, no, you know, customer support professional, it didn't have the same uh, career sort of cachet that it does now in 2006, 2007, people were still just throwing that job at, you know, the lowest level employee or the intern or whoever it was to just answer customer emails and be a uh, reactionary to them. Mm-hmm. So I kind of took that and run, ran with it thinking about how I love people and how I want to be treated in the world and how I want to treat other people in the world. And it became something that I was able to find passion for more and more and more, but mostly because I was seeing people just not do it well. And the more I wanted to do it well, the more I wanted to teach other people how to do it well. So in 2011, I started my customer experience consulting agency, and that's what we do. We teach and train teams of all sizes how to refine their customer experiences. And that can be from the language they use in emails, to the methodology, to the tools, to even just coming in to talk one-on-one with their teams and train their managers. Um, on how to be very people first with their thinking. So yeah, I've been all over the world. It's very strange now to be 10 years in and to think there's still so much to do, (laughs) right? When I started my company, I kind of had this mantra, like I wanted to put myself out of business. I wanted to spread this gospel and teach people things and raise up leaders Mm -hmm. so that I didn't have to travel around the world 
going to all of these places to kind of, you know, repeat myself like a broken record. And it's, it's amazing to see what's happened in the last 10 years. And it's amazing to see how people have really pivoted to, like I said, being people first, but there is still, still so much more we can do. So, you know, it's exciting to think about what's next. Well, I think it's, I mean, it is exciting. And, and, you know, there's something to be said about you being in this world, in this space for the last 10 years and how rapidly things are changing. Now I'm going to put, let's put 2020 on a shelf. We're going to pause. Yeah, on that for Thank you. Okay, let's take it out of the equation. I will come back to it. But when you think about when you first got into this space, yes. you described a scenario where it was very impersonal, kind of cookie cutter. There wasn't so much kind of thought put into not just what you're representing and what you're doing, but also the employee themselves. Um, leading up to before we get to pandemic times, you know, what are some other things that you observed from being really at the front lines, you have that firsthand experience that you were able to parlay yes. to those you're consulting with and advising. So the number one thing is definitely language, the language mm. around customer support and customer experience, the language used with customers, the way we talk about the job that we mm. do has really evolved. I mean, in, in 2010, 2011, when I really started my consulting and started planting the seeds about how I wanted to do this, I was working for a startup with a million customers who were still re referring to me as a customer service representative. And, you know, customer service is the return line at Walmart. It's not me doing a very branded type of support and customer care for a startup that can make their own rules and have a persona and be very specific. So that was the first thing that I really dove in and said, this is part of what we need to change from the ground up. And also the language that we use with customers. Language is free and it's very accessible and it's transferable. And it's one of the best things that you can do with anybody in any relationship that you have is to refine the language that you use to either present your ideas, to apologize, to create policy, whatever it may be. So in 2013, I published the book, The Customer Support Handbook. And the bulk of what that was about was really for startup companies. Again, the people who could kind of make their own rules, growth stage companies. Obviously, for enterprise companies and larger scale legacy brands, it's a little bit harder to turn the Titanic around. It's possible, but more difficult. And I started out this book thinking, if I really do want to put myself out of business by teaching people all this wisdom and really putting them out there to say, you can do it, you can make a change, you know, see the change, be the change. I want to give them examples of what that is. There's so much that happens in the service industry and the customer experience industry that is just habitual and reactionary. And those are things that don't have a place moving into a people first, customer centric, uh, you know, place in the future. So thank you for your feedback. That, that phrase, I am known in this industry as being like, if, if you're in a room with me, you don't say that phrase. You don't use the word feedback. <laughs> Everybody's it's kind of like a trigger word for me. And the reason is because it's just this robotic sort of template boilerplate response. It's lost all meaning. When someone says, thank you, thank you for your feedback. Internally, I just realized that they've shut down and they've closed the door on the conversation. If a customer writes me a feature request, let's say, and I'm people first and customer centric, 
I want to know what they think. I want to know what, if, what feature would make them be more invested in my brand, to spend more money, to tell more people as an, as an ambassador to buy my product as well. I'm not gonna brush them off and say, get out of my face, I don't wanna talk to you. I don't wanna say that's a dumb request. And I don't wanna argue with them and explain, we don't do that, here's why. Customers don't care about that stuff. They wanna be seen and heard. So the ways that you do that are by pivoting and flipping the language that you use to make it sound like you care, like you've listened to them, like you're taking a note. I like to tell people instead of, thank you for your feedback, use something very simple, like I really appreciate you sharing this insight. That's a great idea. Dumb, stupid, little tiny changes like that, right? It, it's mind blowing what a change it can really make. And people notice that. Customers are so used to just being sent the same canned reply, the same mm -hmm. apologies for the inconvenience, that when someone comes out and says, you're right, we messed this up and I'm really sorry for the frustration, it does still kind of startle you a little bit. Like that was a human writing me an actually really empathetic reply. So the more that we can do that, the more that we can break down every single thing from the base level, from what we're sending in transactional emails or in our terms of service or in any kind of policy, those things really matter. And they really help set the tone for everything else that you're going to be doing relationally with your customers. Yeah, I think you're right. I think language is critical. It's so interesting how much uh, there's these themes that come up in these conversations and interviews that I have. Um, and they're kind of, there's some that are, you know, uh, persistent and language is one of them. I just had a conversation with Nigel Barlow, who's a, a business innovation speaker and a trustee for the David Lynch Foundation. And we were talking about the the connection between uh, wellness and creativity and innovation and got into this whole discussion about language and losing meaning behind some of these words and phrases like yep. thanks for your feedback or uh, I'm sorry, you know, just even I'm sorry and thinking about yeah. different ways to say that without sounding like a cut and paste. Um, you know, you gave an example and it speaks to the importance of brand voice and tone at what we would mm. consider a support stage of the customer journey. What's your point of view on this convergence of what used to be two very siloed departments, marketing and customer service? Yeah, well, oof, it's it's so hard because as we're seeing, we, we've seen in the last five to 10 years, there's really no prescription for how these organizations can be uh, created and maintained. Everything is dependent on who your customer is, what their needs are, and how you're how you're you know reaching out to them. In some organizations, it makes sense for support, customer support, and customer success to be under the umbrella of marketing because they're all customer facing, right? In some organizations, maybe larger those legacy brands I talked about, maybe it makes more sense for marketing to be under sales or under biz dev regardless of where they sit, they have to interact laterally. There can't be any sort of like top-down hierarchy with that for the main reason that customer support people, frontline customer-centric workers, whether you're in social media, email, live chat, whichever it may be, they're the only people in your company who are frontline with customers one-on-one -on -one, daily, constantly. They are having actual real life human conversations with the people who are paying for a product. So, that is a power position for an organization to really tap into 
the wisdom that support professionals have. They know what language customers use to talk about feature set. They know what language customers use and emotional language they use to talk about their experiences. So that information needs to funnel up to marketing, out to sales. All of those other organizations need to be relying on that wisdom, like I said, that support that support organizations have. It's so uh, like, it's just not tapped into as much as it could be. And then you have frustrations on the customer support team side where they just feel like, you know, low on the rung, overlooked, not important, left out of road mapping, left out of product feature um, discussions. And it leads to a lot of that tension where, you know, again, the support team feels reactionary versus a valuable part of product. I really think that when it comes down to, let's say, growth stage companies, let's say, um, companies of 300 or less, right? Um, you're building a product, you're building feature set, even if you have physical products that you're selling, there's still something that's driving that. And I think that support and product need to be integrated on a very organic level. Um, it's not difficult to do. A lot of people think it's difficult to do because they don't want too many cooks in the kitchen, right? Like all of that sort of stuff. But again, you have to look at it from the perspective of we're tapping into wisdom of people who are front lines with customers. Um, and we're not. I'm also a big, big fan of all hand support for that reason and not in a, you know, once a once a day when you're in your training, you kind of pop in support and read some emails and see what it's like. Mm. I think it needs to be a habitual part of how companies operate, that everyone, especially people who are marketing to customers and who are building products and building feature set for customers, they need to be in tune to how customers are reacting to those feature sets and requesting certain things. Um, it just it just does so much, I think, to elevate the way that you think about who your customers are and the way to think forward about who your customers might be as you continue to grow out your product, right? Is that a good answer? Is that yeah, <laughs> again, I told you I could like spiral into this for ages. <laughs> I love it. I I mean, again, uh, your your passion is contagious and it's also critical and necessary. And I think it's amazing how many companies, even in light of the last year, are still dragging their feet on this. And yeah. you know, that, that customer experience team is the conduit. They are yeah. the voice of the customer yeah. and the voice of the brand. Yes. And so they are, uh, they should be almost treated like precious cargo, you know? <laughs> very much so. And you know, this year has been very strange for me because I've received more requests for just coaching managers, mm -hmm. coaching people who are actually people managers. It used to be that people, managers wanted me to come in and talk to their teams, right? Give them a pep talk, tell them what they're doing well. Well, now it's sort of like, I don't know how to relate to my teams anymore. We're going through this weird time in the world. Everyone is affected. And keep in mind that most people who really excel at customer facing positions and support and an experience are deeply empathetic people. They have softer skin. They're really good at relational, being relational beings. And we used to always be like, oh, you need to have thick skin, you know, one and done and tell them no. And that doesn't fly anymore when it comes to how cust what customers want from brands. They want to be seen. They want to be given, you know, some empathy. 
and everybody has to put on, you know, that empathy front forward. So if you're in this customer facing role, you're depleted from your regular life. You're depleted from, you know, who you are and what's going on emotionally for you, but also what you're giving out to customers. So I think there's a lot of managers who are now finding themselves in a place of how do I maintain morale? How do I maintain stamina? What can we do to keep our teams feeling good about the jobs they're doing and the care that, that they're giving? And I think more and more and more, you know, you and I have talked about this before where we're really shifting in a society as consumers, we're shifting into more of a people first, people centric, socio-centric way of thinking about products that we build. Um, and people don't want just a, in these uncertain times commercial from you, right? They want real action. They want you to show that, you know, you're you're thinking about your policy and how it affects them and you're finding ways to be a little bit softer in in you know your responses and softer in your expectations and those are the companies the people that really lean into this uncomfortable time of having to shift and change mm -hmm. and seek help with that shift and change i really think those are the companies that we're going to see that are just transform for the better and they maintain a deeply loyal customer base because of that relational moment that they've had. I agree with that too. I love what you said about, uh, you know, people in this role generally are empaths or have mm -hmm. a high level of empathy, which is part of being an empath. It's funny you bring that yeah. up. Literally last night, um, I was writing something having to do with that. And I went and looked at my, I I'm pretty sure I'm an empath. And I found this really cute little video that was like, you know, five ways to know if you're an empath. And it was yeah. like a checklist. I'm like, yeah. that's confirmed. Mm -hmm. uh, this solved. So, but, uh, you know, we've talked about this too. There was a time where empathy and leadership were considered like that they couldn't live together, a detriment, right. and, you know, not Very a part so. of Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So now, though, you talk about this role in these teams, uh, generally the people who are best in it are very empathetic. Do you think that managers and leaders also uh, should carry or that trait? And how does it show up in their leadership or what would you recommend? I'd say yes. I'd say without getting granular or political or anything like that, Part of the shift we're seeing in society and in the ways that labor is changing and our our um, sort of ideas around the labor force is also changing is we're also changing the way we think about top level leadership, whether it's giant, giant C-suite organizations or startup CEOs, everywhere in between. What we're wanting from those people in those positions of power has shifted considerably. I don't necessarily want that bulldog, kick down the door kind of Steve Jobs personality anymore. I need more of like a father figure who is going to be dedicated to keeping their employees safe and unharmed and supported and feeling that they're working somewhere where, you know, it may not be a social good company, but at least they feel like they do something good at the end of the day, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that is that is something we cannot deny has shifted. Um, so I, when I ever speak about companies and I speak about leadership, I tend to speak from my own experience, which is SaaS companies, right? Growth stage companies, 100, 100 to 300 size companies, mostly in tech. And I think some of the really successful leadership teams that we're seeing are building products that, like I said, they're not necessarily geared to social good or social justice. They just happen to be productivity or you know tech related or apps on your phone, whichever it may be. 
But the people have a spirit of human wellness about them that they are sort of imbuing everything they do within their company, their hiring practices, their DNI practices, um, you know, what it's like to work there, the diversity of their board and, and all of their um, executives. All of that stuff sets a tone. Just like I said before, you know, language sets a tone with what customers expect of you and what they what they know they can count on you for. I think it's the same way in leadership. We want to know that wherever we're working, we like I said, we can feel good about it. And it also does a lot to empower employees to know that they can make the best decisions on behalf of customers mm -hmm. and that it's not going to be regarded as a bad call or a weakness or it's going to, you know, the, the only concern is that it's going to cut profits. We just aren't living in that kind of society anymore. We're living in a, a society where we're all very forward thinking about being people first. And that's everything from leadership, employees, to how that relates to our customers as well. It's very it's very much something that I think vibrates out of who your leadership, um, who they are, what they represent. It's a great point. And again, it's one of those things I think is really universal, whether you are that sort of enterprise established brand or more yeah. in that, that startup space. You know, another thing that makes me think about that comes up in my conversations all the time is that, well, well, it was actually happening before we reached pandemic times was this shift to experience being the key differentiator above price and product. Yeah, very much so. Right. And then with that comes this desire for purpose. So I say, uh, how does that, what does that mean? Who you are as an organization is just as important, if not more important than what you make and what you sell and what you do. Right. Very so, true. and I think that that's where the purpose shows up when maybe you're not um, a company that the social good is so uh, transparent and overt. Um, you know, I think that that, that really, it can be universal regardless of what you make. You also mentioned the word safety, um, mm -hmm. which I think is really interesting. I think that that's changing how we define that. How would you define that? What, especially when you think about creating teams, when we think about yeah. you know emotional, uh, psychological, physical safety in the workplace. What are the yeah. some of the things that come up in your advisements? So I'm big into what people sometimes refer to as soft skills, mm -hmm. which I think is really underselling it quite a bit because soft skills are very hard to master. It's very hard to master empathy. It's very hard to master patience, to be a good listener, to understand different personality types and how they give and receive support. When you're managing people, that is your job is to learn how to manage all types of people. When you're a manager of people, let's say I have a team of 20 support professionals and I'm a team leader, I'm a, I'm a head of support. My job is those people. My job is not customer mm -hmm. policy and it's not FAQs and it's not metrics. It's really the people who are doing those jobs. So my job is to take care of them and to make sure that they feel supported, to make sure that I have transparent expectations of them. You know, one of the things I deal with a lot is teaching managers how to do one-on-ones that relate to an individual's career path and career goal. Mm -hmm. Now, 15, 10, 15 years ago in support, that would never have existed. No one would ever be thinking about a career path and customer support because you just sit there and you answer calls and emails. That's what you do. You're in and out, mm -hmm. right? You clear the queue. But now we live in a world where there are so many specialty trajectories. And even if I do want to become just a IC working in support long-term, and I'm really good at that and I thrive in that role, I still am owed from my manager support in how my career evolves and how that develops. So 
when I talk about the word safety, um, it means me as a, as a person on a team, I know what my manager expects of me on a daily basis. And it's not a job description. It's actual benchmarks that you agree to and that you work toward as a common goal together. I know that my manager understands my work style. They understand, you know, how I work best and they support me in that. And we've, we're, I have an open dialogue where I'm able to say, this schedule is not going to work for me or I need to modify things. The more you can do that with a level of trust, the less likely people are to take advantage of that situation, right? Mm -hmm. um, the other thing too is safety in, you know, financial safety is like knowing that as I work to provide this company with customers and loyalty from those customers and make sure that I'm helping to reduce churn and that I'm doing everything to make our customers happy so that they become ambassadors, that I'm taken care of well in, you know, industry standards of how I'm paid, perks I get, all of that stuff. And I don't have fear of that being, you know, the rug being pulled out from me be, for any just reason, because I'm at the lowest part of, you know, the totem pole. And you can just say, oh, we're just going to lay off all these people. Those kinds of things have always historically happened to people working in customer support. You know, they're the people who are just not seen as the most valuable centers of a company. But when you start to think about, you know, the wisdom that they have and the roles that they do and how you can really like use that information to keep you know building out your company you start to realize like those are the people that we really want to protect the other big thing too when it comes to managing now and this is a really hot topic now that a lot of people don't don't like talking about because it's uncomfortable but we have to talk about it because it's essential is the idea of social safety for people and the idea that they can bring their whole person to work right mm -hmm. We've never experienced something like we experienced in 2020, where the entire world is going through the same trauma collectively. But because of that collective trauma, we also have the opportunity of collective empathy. We also have the, the opportunity to say, like, I understand that parents are now working at home with kids or people are losing family members and friends to a disease. Or, you know, we all feel like a sense of we can't control things. So really good managers have to be able to tap into those emotional feels that fears that may be not work related, but they're affecting people at work, whether we want them to or not. Um, and again, it's something that a lot of people are uncomfortable with. And a lot of people just want to shut down and say, this doesn't work, get back to work, get, you know, whatever. And I find that those are the people that are going to have the hardest time integrating into how society is shifting, because people don't want to work for people who don't care about them. That's just the end of the day. Why should I make why should I make someone wealthy if they don't care about my emotional well-being, right? The trade-offs in this are so much higher than they ever used to be and we just don't have that opportunity to be a clear the inbox and go home and live your life outside of work kind of company anymore. We just don't I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, again, it's one of those things that just came up in another recent conversation. And I was talking about, you know, no longer are the days where I'm work SG and, you know, at home SG or, you know, whatever it might be. Because I'm, I'm just SG, Sarah Grace. And sure, there are certain things I probably am not going to lean into deeper during the work environment, during work hours and whatnot. Sure. But we don't want to be afraid of being our true selves. And I think that when people, you know, these are conversations I have with my teams a lot too, that holistic, wholehearted, living, working being, yes. it's, it speaks for itself. In my experience, what I've seen in, in the teams that we create, we see 
um, you know, overall attitudes, more engagement, um, you know, just more connection. And of course, yeah. all the numbers and all those things, they all come as a result of that. They do. You know, I yeah. remember years ago, I watched the CBS Sunday morning, right when I was starting my consulting company, I watched this amazing CBS Sunday morning interview with the CEO of the container store. And oh. it's in my book, even it has lasted with me so long because it was seared into my brain. He's a CEO of a major corporation that sells very overpriced Tupperware, right? But his whole thing is, you know, they're like, why are you successful? Why is your brand successful? Why is, you know, whatever. And he's like, you know, my job as the CEO is to take care of my employees. If I take care of my employees, I can trust that they're going to take care of the customers. I don't have to worry about the customers. I care about my employees. And I think more and more and more we're realizing that that can, that can happen at a smaller manager level within departments. Mm -hmm. That can happen in organizations, you know, starting from the ground up and, helping to maybe influence the rest of your company, especially if you're at a large size company, right? Because you're probably not going to get that top down. You hope you can, but maybe you can be the inside influence. Um, as managers, being people focused, you know, every single one of us has dealt with something in the last eight, 12 to 18 months that has been sort of soul shattering in a way. And for some of us, it's just even anxiety. It's just not having control, not knowing what's next, not having a footing. But if I can spend six to eight hours of my day in a place where I know I have control and expectations I can meet and someone who supports me and someone who says, I've got your back, what do you need? How can I help you? That is overwhelmingly a positive shift versus I have, I go to work and I hate it and I don't feel I can talk about things and I don't know what's expected of me and I might not have a job tomorrow. Because that's also real anxiety for a lot of people right now, you know, the financial security and safety. And what a role you can play as a manager to really say, I'm going to start thinking about my people and I'm going to just like take a beat on metrics because, you know, we're also data hungry. We're also mm -hmm. like, you know, time to reply and all this, all that kind of stuff. But you're right. Like all that stuff's going to come if you have people who are engaged and happy with the job that they're doing. And also it, that, you know, as a manager, you do have to be involved in people's personal growth as well, well as their career growth. You have to think about the whole person. You can't just say. I want you to increase your time to reply because then you're just going to get someone who is more focused on speed of reply than quality of reply. And then you're just stuck in a loop of trying to fix, fix a situation that, you know, doesn't have to exist. So yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I know it's uncomfortable for a lot of people. I also know that for many, many people who are managers, they're, they are probably managers because they're really good at metrics, really good at data and spreadsheets. And that's great. Now they're learning. I have to be good at some of these things that I'm not good at and I don't know how to do and I'm uncomfortable with. And that's okay to be uncomfortable. There are so many resources for you to learn how to be, how to be better at this. But you can't just say, I'm uncomfortable with this. It's not my job. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know it makes me laugh out loud, but there's people who do that. There's people who have been doing that, who just like, you know what? We're shutting this down. I don't like this. Let's go back to just being cogs, cogs in the factory, right? And I'm sorry, but that's not how the world's going to move. That's not the movement that we're in going no, forward. It's not. It makes me think of something Brene Brown often says about choosing courage over comfort. And mm. I want to add the like in parentheses, it's perceived comfort because yes. it really 
it's not, you think, cause it's what you know and it feels safe, but it's not going to get you to where you need to go. And particularly no. um, in today's business world, with innovation, I mean, in true innovation, I mean, things are moving and particularly, you know, I work a lot in the social sphere and digital and, you know, what I was talking about three months ago seems out of date and is constantly <laughs> changing. And I think, you know, we're seeing that as an organization too. Like, look, there will always be KPIs and, and metrics and all of yeah. the things. But um, what I've learned, particularly with our social teams, is they are at the front lines, not just of whatever given customer experience is happening on that day, be it a brand love moment or a customer right. moment, but they're also seeing everything going on in the world right? and they can't shut it down because they're on social all day long. So we've had to really rethink um, wellness, safety, um, and putting people first um, in addition. And, you know, we've, we've made decisions in alignment with our partners to pause, to pivot because business as usual uh, nothing can land harder and be. Oh know, my gosh! Right, that, that is like yeah. the thing that last year I was so I would get enraged yeah. seeing brands doing the business as usual things okay. in June when we were dealing with you know the aftermath of the George Floyd murder and people mm -hmm. are launching products and you're like, what are you yeah. thinking? And yeah. listen. I'm all for people, you know, making money and launching products and doing stuff, but you got to read the room. You yeah. really do. And, you know, at some, so at some point, you know, we have shifted so dramatically in the last, eight, like I said, 12 to 18 months as consumers that we want to know what your stance is on social justice. We want to know what your stance is on environmental issues. I want to, I want that to affect my purchasing power for you. And on top of that, keep in mind that labor now Everybody's proven that we can work from home, work remotely, um, productively. All of these companies are now shifting productively. So if you're going to tell me that you just want to micromanage me and I have to go back to an office, I'm actually more in a power position to say I'm going to go find a job that lets me work from home and has a flexible schedule and is a little bit more people first. So those people who have those like really hard line uh, policies around disengagement with social issues or not reading the room. I just think that they're digging their own grave and I, you know, let them do it because yeah. we don't really need those companies in power positions anymore for our, for our customers or for our labor force. You know, it's just one of those things. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things too. It's those kind of misfires, those toned yeah. down uh, moments are going to it literally could break your business for yeah. long term. Right. Yeah, so it really can't. And, and also, you know, this is such a great, uh, great segue into talking about like, how you, how do you react to your own misstep? Yeah. How do you respond to your own tone deafness when it's pointed out to you? Do you double down and triple down? And like, do you just, you know, stay defensive about it? And do you just say, Oh, this is all blow over. No, it's fine. It's fine. No one cares. And whatever, you know, whatever it is. Well, when your workforce starts leaving because they can't, they can't work for you. It's unconscionable. And you say, well, I don't want them working here anyway. That's just, they're going to bring too much drama. <laughs> you like, you can, you can say whatever you want to say to defend your own bad decisions. But the people who say, you know what, we messed up, we screwed up, we're making serious change. And they do that change and make that change internally and their mm -hmm. customers see it and their customers feel good about an apology or, you know, some sort of, whatever, you know, rollback is needed. I think that's a really important step for the maturity of a business and maturity of leadership as well. But when we see these people who are very, very clearly in the wrong, like, 
I, I don't want to say any any brand names, but perhaps an online warehouse retailer <laughs> that we realized was just making billions and billions of dollars and not paying taxes on it. And people were peeing in bottles at their warehouses to fulfill my cat litter order. As consumers, we have the power to say, I'm not going to continue to contribute to that, yeah. right? As a labor force, we can say, I'm not going to continue to contribute to that because I have other options where I'm, I'm treated more empathetically as an employee. So the more we express that power as consumers and as our labor force, the more push there's going to be on people to say, you know, we need to make better decisions going forward. We need to take care of our people and take care of our consumers, right? It's all it's all kind of one big nebulous. Yeah, it's all connected. <laughs> one to another for, for better or for worse, you know. And yeah. you you very organically gave some really great examples of the impact of the last year. Love the container store story, which oh. actually was well before that. Also, I got love a brand that just says exactly what they do. Um, you know, I and I I know what I'm getting at the container store. Containers. Container. Container. Yeah. It's yeah. great. It's very clear branding, but I love that too. This is such a great. This is such a very great example of how the psyche works from a consumer standpoint of things. <laughs> if I'm a container consumer and I see the CBS Sunday Morning interview, and I'm so aligned with how the CEO talks about his employees, I'm going to pay for your overpriced containers because I align with you. You align with right. my values. I I believe in you, and I want to support you even if your containers are way more expensive than other containers I can get somewhere where people are peeing in bottles and they can't take a 15 minute break. Yeah. You know, th this is where we, we have started thinking more and we are never going to go back as a society to a place where those old behaviors towards employees are acceptable. And we're never going to go back to a place where our labor force doesn't have you know, the power that they have now to speak up and to shift jobs. And I'm seeing that in support teams a lot when they realize their true value, mm -hmm. they realize, you know, they can ask for, for better flexibility in scheduling. They can ask for maybe a bump in pay. They can ask for if they're, you know, a lot of companies only employ part-time because they want to get out of having to provide benefits or whatever it is. And we're just starting to see that some of those old practices are just not going to work anymore. And it's expensive and it's going to be uncomfortable and it's a shift that a lot of people don't want to have to make and there's going to be sacrifice involved. But I truly believe that that's for the greater good all around. And when your consumers start to see you taking those hits on behalf of your employees and on behalf of the, the business values that you want to have, I do think in the long run, you're going to have a lot more loyalty from them. You're going to even you know increase your customer base from other people who are just aligned with you and aligned with the values you're trying to create. Absolutely. And I mean, what you said uh, just now too really ties it all back to this shift again that was happening before the pandemic where it's not going to be the price and the product. It's going to be the experience. And again, the word experience, meaning your culture, your purpose, you know, your actions, your actions as an organization, not just, you know, clever marketing copy on right. your website. Too. Right. Yeah. Right. Because well, we've seen I a lot of that. People, like, you know, when I go into teams and I'm working with people, I have this checklist and I say, let's work on these things. And one of those things is for your customer experience team. What are their values? What is their why? Why are they here? Mm -hmm. um, if, at, if you're listening to this and you think, why does my customer experience team need values? They're just there to clear an, you know, clear an inbox. Then this is for you. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> 
Because you have to empower every single team. You have to empower them to know that their jobs matter, that they matter as people, that their insight and experience and wisdom matters for the entire company to glean from, that customers and consumers rely on that wisdom and experience to give them thoughtful answers and responses. Mm -hmm. So write this stuff down, have this stuff as part of, you know, this is what our team stands for. You know who does this really well is Chewy. We were talking about them before. They're a phenomenal brand. I'm obsessed with them. They have an entire value system that stems from their customer experience team that goes up, drives up to the rest of the company. It's not like a, you know, Zappos, what was it? Like mission statement, five values, things that Zappos kind of slapped mm -hmm. in a book. Um, these, this, the team, the customer experience team who's answering emails and answering phone calls, they really set the tone for the rest of the company. Absolutely. Why are we here? What is our mission? What do we value? And we aren't talking about like speed of reply again. We're talking about, you know, emotional satisfaction from our customers. We want them to be happy. We want them to know that we are here for them, all that kind of stuff. So it's not just marketing and it's not just buzzwords. It's real action that can be quantified just by, you know, looking at the way that customers respond to you, the reviews that they make. A lot of the times too, I mean, I'm sure you notice this too, when it comes to like reviewing companies and experiences, so little of it has to do with the tangible benefit that someone's receiving. So much of it has to do with their emotion around that benefit and right. their emotion around the experience. That's just the world we live in right now. And it's something that people really need to be in focus of and how I set values and expectations from my experience team that is directly going to influence how customers uh, relate with us, relate to us. Yeah, I mean, that's really spot on. It's such a great way to kind of bring all this together. I mean, it gets me thinking about emotional landscape of your customer yeah. and your team because the two have to be really healthy and you have to yeah. cultivate it tend to it like a garden, right? And I love my, my favorite words in the world is emotional landscape of your customer experience. Team. <laughs> <laughs> I let's do another five episodes on this. I know, just on that, we'll do a little docu series on it. We'll go talk to Chewy. I'll bring Gilda Radner, you yes, know, please. I yeah. love it. It's so great. Well, and then you think about that too. I was just talking about this the other day too. Like with, I mean, at least for me, I'm a dog mom. I'm very, I mean, that's my child, you know, yeah. that I'm talking yeah. about, so, you know, and of course, even if I'm just ordering her treats, you know, and some of the best customer experiences I've had are from people who have personalized moments around little details like that for me. Like I always tell this story yes. about KLM and my previous dog, Nancy Drew, and an interaction I had with them. But we, I could go on and on um, for sure. But I love everything that you've said here, just to kind of put a bow on all of this. Uh, you yeah. know, any, you've had a lot of great advice and insights. And Sarah, to be honest with you, the work that you do, again, is is now to me even more critical than mm -hmm. ever it is it has become um even more elevated not to take the name of, of <laughs> your event as well but if maybe just to kind of wrap things up what's next for you as you continue through the new year well the burden of what you just said is weighing on my shoulders very yeah. deeply, but it's good i mean i think i told you before like i've really shifted in how i coach and how i consult because of the needs of what i'm seeing from teams and I think more and more, I want to be as helpful as I can for people maybe in that uncomfortable shift, or maybe people who are seeing that morale has dipped on their support teams, and they need a little bit more insight and a little bit more help with that. Um, that's the stuff that I think the last 10, 15 years has you know, brought me to being someone who's really good at helping those, those 
teams of those issues. So, you know, one of the things that you kind of mentioned, Elevate, Elevate CX is our community for customer experience professionals. It's a large community, almost 2000 strong. We used to do an event uh, in the before times when people used to be able to get together <laughs> and like, you know, hug and high five. We don't do it anymore. We did 30 events in three countries all around the world, averaging 200, 250 attendees each time. I used to do these events and they were intense two-day events with 20 speakers and people in the room just taking notes and taking pictures of slides and requesting slides after. And we would have these, you know, happy hours where instead of people just slamming drinks, they're lined up to talk to our speakers to ask advice. I want to see more of that. People saying, I want your wisdom. I want your help. How can you help me? Um, because the more we see that sort of humility and leadership, especially from the C-suite and, you know, VPs and heads of support, heads of experience, the better off we're going to be for our consumers, for people mm -hmm. actually purchasing our product and engaging with our brands, but also for our employees. And that's the goal, right? I want people doing, I remember what it was like working for a, a SaaS company who did not think that my job and customer support was important or affected their company. And I know that feeling of being on the front lines, answering hundreds of emails by myself, trying to apologize for things that were my fault and I couldn't control. And I never want teams to feel that helpless or hopeless or disconnected from a larger company mm -hmm. or brand uh, roadmap. So I, that's just really what I think is, is the future is trying to continue to, you know, help our Elevate community thrive where we have leaders all over the world helping people, giving advice, you know, so it's not just me. Um, and also just working with more and more and more teams and managers, helping coach them through this very uh, un unknown, weird time that we're going through. We I've know that we've never experienced something like this before. And we know that we're never going back to how mm -hmm. it used to be. So we know that we can only go forward adapting to whatever um, you know, th this world is giving us right now. Definitely. So that's all, that's all we can count on. That's all I can count on. That's all I can hope to do, but I'm really grateful that I'm on an, I'm, I'm happen to be a person who's built for this built through it, through my experience, good and bad, you know? So that's just, that's all I really want to be doing is helping more and more people get to that same place. Well, it is definitely one of your many superpowers. And uh, I so appreciate your time and fantastic insights. Lots of really great, rich advice here and tied to very passionate and personal experience, which is the best of all worlds. So yeah. Sarah, thank you so much for your time. Um, I, I look forward to the day when I can oh, hug you in person. Can't um, wait. So it's coming this year, uh, we'll see. But thank you again. And we just really appreciate all your expertise and insight. Thanks so much. Happy to be here.